Be taking your Bibles and turn it with me to Genesis chapter number 41. I was thinking, uh, Warren Chapman led the singing this morning. <clears throat> we have basically uh, three song leaders around here, don't we? Donald Talent, Greg Chapman, Jay Pruitt, all of them are gone. Today, of course, Donald and the Masters Quartet are singing. Uh, Greg's traveling. Uh, Jay's traveling. And as we mentioned earlier, we've got six households out traveling, but no up today. And uh, but uh, So that would put Warren number four on the list. How many of y'all ever saw the movie Bad News Bears? Y'all ever seen that? Warren Chapman and Kevin Merritt are the Bad News Bears. We're going to win the World Series today. Amen? I say let's move Warren to number one. He did a good job. Did an excellent job. I love his good spirit he has about him. Don't you? And he did an excellent job. Genesis 41. We want to try to finish a message we began a few weeks back from Genesis 41. As you find verse number one, would you stand with us, please? We'll not read all the verses we're going to cover today. We'll not read all of them as we read our text and get into to, to today's message. Again, we welcome our visitors to the services, those who are on the parking lot that may be listening. I know we still have a family that will be joining us back in service here in a couple of weeks that's out on the parking lot this morning. And we've got some that are traveling and while in the road, they're listening to our live stream. And so we welcome you to our services as well. Genesis 41, verse number 1, And it came to pass at the end of two full years that Pharaoh dreamed. And behold, he stood by the river. Skipping down to verse 8 through 16, the Bible says, And it came to pass in the morning that his spirit was troubled, and he sinned and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all the wise men thereof, and Pharaoh told them his dream, but there was none that could interpret them unto Pharaoh. Then spake the chief butler unto Pharaoh, saying, I do remember my faults this day. Pharaoh was wroth with his servants and put me in ward in the captain of the guard's house, both me and the chief baker. And we dreamed a dream, and one night, I and he, we dreamed each man according to the interpretation of his dream. And there was there with us a young man in Hebrew, servant to the captain of the guard. And we told him, and he interpreted to us our dreams. To each man, according to his dream, he did interpret. And it came to pass, as he interpreted to us, so it was, me he restored unto mine office, and him he hanged. Then Pharaoh sinned and called Joseph, and they brought him hastily out of the dungeon, and he shaved himself. And changed his raiment and came in unto Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, I have dreamed a dream, and there is none that can interpret it. And I have heard say of thee that thou canst understand a dream to interpret it. And Joseph answered Pharaoh, saying, It is not in me. God shall give Pharaoh an answer of peace. Hunter Williamson, would you lead us in prayer, please, before we begin the message? Amen. Thank you for standing. Amen. Annie Ray. Amen. We're looking at the life of Joseph. This will be our, our eighth look into his life, but our sixth message. This is a message like one of the previous messages where it's taken us two uh, Sundays to get through the message. We've looked at Psalm 105 and what the psalmist wrote as he overviewed the life of Joseph. We noted Joseph, a man with iron in his soul. God invested a lot in the life of Joseph. 
because he's going to invest through Joseph a lot in the nation of Israel so that he may get the gospel to the world. We looked at Genesis 37, verses 1 through 11, at Joseph, a young man, singled out. There were four areas he singled out in the text there. In Genesis 37, verse 12 through 36, we notice Joseph, a young man, hated. Um, he did not ask for his lot in life, but he accepted it, and he walked on for Christ's sake, for God's sake. In Genesis 39, we noted Joseph, a young man, tested, and he was tested. As a matter of fact, we were able to make practical application about the salvation of God's people, the temptation of God's people, and then at times the discrimination against God's people. You remember, we closed that chapter with Joseph being falsely accused and wrongfully imprisoned. In Genesis chapter number 40, we noticed Joseph, a young man, imprisoned. And then here in Genesis chapter number 41, we are considering Joseph, a young man, readied for a moment in time. All of his life has gone to get him ready for this moment to stand before Pharaoh and to take lead and move forward from here on. We've divided it under three headings. In this chapter, in Joseph's part of the story, there are spans of time that are mentioned in Joseph's life. And then, of course, there's a brief space in time that is mentioned regarding Pharaoh's life, just a night and a day. Say something about that briefly in a moment as review. But then there is a moment of time in Joseph's life and many details involved to bring him to where he's at right now. We'll see if he's learned his lessons in days to come. And, of course, if you've already um, read ahead and know the story of Joseph, he has paid attention. He's passed the test of life that he's been put to. Regarding the spans of time in Joseph's life, years recorded, in verse number 1 of our text, you'll remember it's been two years since our look back into chapter 40. He interpreted the dreams of the baker and the butler, and he told the baker... I told the butler, he said, you're going to be restored to your office. And, and when you're restored, remember me. Mention me to Pharaoh. But he did not remember him until you get to chapter 41. We believe that God had a hand in that. In verse number 46, we learned that he's 30 years old when he will rise to his place of prominence. and will be seated at the right hand of Pharaoh. 13 years since he was cast into the pit sold for a few pieces of silver to the Ishmaelites, sold on the auction block to Potiphar, so on and so forth. It's been 13 years. He's 30 years of age. He was 17 when he was sold by his brothers. But it's been two years since our last look into his life, 13 years since he was sold as a slave, forgotten by his brothers by now, forgotten by the Ishmaelite caravan that carried him to the auction block, Forgotten by Potiphar's wife, who has falsely accused him, um, but he was not forgotten of God. God knows who his children are. He knows where you are. He knows what you may be facing today. And I'm glad for that. And we close that section by pointing out the fact that Joseph still believes God. And he still is hanging on to those two dreams God gave him. If God ever puts a word in your heart, you can run off of it the rest of your days. In Exodus chapter number 3, Moses at the burning bush, God gave him a word. 
God never had to give him another word because he could run off that word. Now, he gave him another word. He gave him many words on Mount Sinai when he gave him the details for the tabernacle and the commandments of God. But he ran and he, uh, he lived his life on that word that was given him at the burning bush for the next 40 years. He ran on what God gave him that day. You remember we talked about a brief space and time in Pharaoh's life. There was a night and a day involved in his part of the story. There was a night filled with dreams, verses 1 to 7 of this chapter. There was a day seeking answers, verses 8 to 13 in this chapter. The butler, all of a sudden now, he remembers Joseph. Uh, what was God doing while, um, while the butler forgot about Joseph these past two years? Well, you remember we proved it with a point or a verse out of chapter number 40. There's some things he still had to take from Joseph, and there were some things he had to put into Joseph's life. Sometimes we wonder about the delays of God in our life. God knows, again, where we are and what we need, and he'll see to it that those ingredients are removed and those ingredients are added to our lives. But there's the command to bring Joseph from prison in verses 14 and 15. That brings us to verse 16, where we closed our last look at Joseph in this chapter. And this is the confession of Joseph. You remember in verse number 15, the Bible says, And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, I have dreamed a dream, and there is none that can interpret it. I have heard say of thee that thou canst understand a dream to interpret it. Now watch Joseph's response in verse 16. And Joseph answered Pharaoh, saying, It is not in me. God shall give Pharaoh an answer of peace. If anybody could have said to Pharaoh, now this dream business, you just well as to wash that down the drain. I had some dreams as a young man, and not a one of them had come true. And I've been fighting the devil in this world ever since. All these things, that was his daddy's attitude, you know. He could have barred his daddy's attitude. We'll see it later in the book of Genesis. He could have stood up and said, all these things are against me. I don't want to talk about dreams. But Joseph still believes dreams, the dreams God gave him. If he didn't believe that, he would not have spoken to Pharaoh the way he did. He still believes the promises God gave to his great-grandfather, his grandfather, and his father. Joseph still believes God through it all. Let's read several of these verses, just work our way down to uh, where I want to get to for this morning. I want you to notice with me, uh, if you will, the dreams of Pharaoh, they're going to be shared now with Joseph as he stands before it. First of all, he shares with him the dream concerning, you know, he had two dreams, you remember that. And the first dream had to do with cattle. Look with me at verses 17 through 21. Pharaoh begins to speak to Joseph here, 17 to 21, the Bible says, and Pharaoh said unto Joseph, in my dream, behold, I stood upon the bank of the river. I wonder if that was the Nile River. And perhaps he stood there in the river delta where they would graze their cattle. In his dream, everything looks familiar to Pharaoh. Egypt was known for their cattle, was known for their pasture land, was known for their crops, was known for their jewels, were known for their arts, were known for so many things. And... Um, and, and, and maybe Pharaoh said, everything looks good right now in my dream, Joseph. He says in verse number 18, And behold, there came up out of the river seven kind, of course, that's cattle, fat-fleshed and well-favored, and they fed in a meadow. Maybe stopped and he said, Joseph, now that looks good to me. I take pride in our land's cattle and our cattle farmers. And, and, and I'm impressed at this point with my dream. Then he says in verse number 19, 
And behold, seven other kind came up after them, poor and very ill-favored, and lean-fleshed, such as I never saw in all the land of Egypt for badness. Perhaps he paused and said, Joseph, now this troubles me. I've seen sick and weakly cattle, but I've never seen any like I saw in my dream. The seven lean flesh that I saw in my dream. This troubles me. So in verse 20, and the lean and ill-favored kind did eat up the first seven fat kind. And when they had eaten them up, it could not be known what they had, uh, that they had eaten them. But they were still ill-favored as at the beginning, so I woke. So he's rehearsed now his uh, his uh, dream regarding the cattle. Now his dream regarding the corn. He'll rehearse with Joseph, verses 22 to 24. He said, And I saw in my dream, and behold, seven ears came up in one stalk, full and good. In other words, that's prime ears of corn on one stalk. And behold, seven ears withered thin and blasted with the east wind sprung up after them, and the seven thin ears devoured the seven good ears. And I told this unto the magicians, but there was none that could declare it me. So the dreams of Pharaoh now are being shared with Joseph. He shared them with his magicians and the wise men of Egypt that he would have uh, gone to. Um, they could do nothing with the dreams. The dreams have troubled Pharaoh. The butler hears uh, how troubled he is, and he says, I remember a Hebrew slave that was in the, uh, the prison house with me and, uh, and the baker. He interpreted our dreams that we both had in one night, and they came true. So he sends for him, and he stands before him, and now he's rehearsing the dreams with Joseph. Now notice with me in verses 25 through 32 how that Joseph gives the interpretation of Pharaoh's dreams. But first of all, verses 25 to 27, there's one emphasis, Joseph says. He says your two dreams have one emphasis, and the one emphasis is divided into two portions. There are 14 years that God has let you see. There's going to be seven good years, and there's going to be seven bad years. There's going to be seven years of great harvest, but that's going to be followed by seven years of famine and drought. And the seven years of drought are going to be so devastating that you're going to forget the seven years of plenty. Notice where he says this, what the Bible says, 25 through 27. The Bible says, in Joseph it said unto Pharaoh, the dream of Pharaoh is one. God hath showed Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good kind are seven years. And the seven good ears are seven years. The dream is one. And the seven thin and ill-favored kind that came up after them are seven years. And the seven empty ears blasted with the east wind shall be seven years of famine. Two dreams, one major emphasis. Both dreams are one, he says to Pharaoh. And he prepares him for what he's about to see in the land of Egypt. Now, it's interesting to me that God speaks to a lost man. You say, God doesn't speak to a lost man. I used to say that too. But look at verse 25 and 28. Verse 25, the Bible says, And Joseph said unto Pharaoh, The dream of Pharaoh was one. God hath showed Pharaoh what he is about to do. Look at verse 28. This is the thing which I have spoken unto Pharaoh, what God is about to do, he showeth unto Pharaoh. Now, we know that a lost man doesn't understand the things of God uh, like a saved man does, right? I'm going to give you a verse for that out of the New Testament. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse number 14, the Bible says, but the natural man, speaking of the lost man, the worldly man, the man of the earth, that's the idea. Listen to what Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. He said, but the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, 
for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. So what's God doing? I'll tell you what God's doing. God's about to move upon the world so that he may spare his own people. Now, Joseph and his family would have never survived the famine, or Jacob and his family, that is, Joseph's father. And we're soon to see where God's going to move them because of where Joseph has been positioned in life. God's going to move them from where they are uh, in the promised land. God's going to move them from there because of the famine. Joseph's going to see to them. They're going to be in Goshen. They'll be in a part of the world where they can multiply and they can grow over the generations. They're going to move from a family of 70 to a family of over 200 or 2 million people, a nation of over 2 million. Now, God often does that. Some of you will remember hearing Brother Mark Thrift in our missions conferences the last uh, couple of three years that he's preached. How that he's talked about missions giving and how there were those that had desire to give in, in the church that he pastored for 30 years. And, and, uh, and God, because they stepped out and began to give to missions, uh, they saw their, their whole factories get a raise so that it could meet that giving pledge, whatever the case would be. God often does things in order to minister to the lives of his people. You'll remember in the New Testament, when you come to the book of Luke, there are shepherds out on the hillside, and an angel in the night appears to them. Listen to what the angel says to them. The angel says to these shepherds, tending to the flocks by night, the angel said, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you at this day, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. They weren't supposed to be there, right? Humanly speaking. But Caesar Augustus caused all the people in the known world to be taxed. And, and the taxing moved a little couple by the name of Joseph and Mary that from Nazareth down to Bethlehem that Scripture might be fulfilled. It's amazing. God is going to take seven years of plenty in the land of Egypt. And followed by seven years of nothing, God's going to use that to move and do exceeding abundantly above all that God's people could ask or think as they'll face seven years of harsh famine that is yet to come. Seven years of no harvest. God's going to take care of his people. You'll notice with me, the seven years of abundant harvest are mentioned in verse number 29. Joseph says, behold, there shall come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt. Seven plentiful years, he says to Pharaoh. And then that these seven years of no harvest, verses 30 and 31, the text says, and there shall arise after them seven years of famine, and all the plenty shall be forgotten in the land of Egypt, and the famine shall consume the land. And the plenty shall not be known in the land by reason of that famine following, for it shall be very grievous, extremely harsh. That's what he's saying. And so seven years of abundant harvest, and then followed by seven years of no harvest. And then Joseph points out to Pharaoh the double emphasis that God gave him in giving him two dreams, speaking to him and troubling him, giving him two dreams. Verse number 32, and for that the dream was doubled unto Pharaoh twice, it is because the thing is established by God, and God will shortly bring it to pass. There are many passages with a double emphasis in Scripture, a double mention of something or a double emphasis of something. God intends that we take heed, that we pay attention. There'll be a warning. 
Or there'll be something that we need to embrace and open our hearts and minds to. Something to be believed. And going through the book of Philippians on Wednesday evenings, if you were here just a few weeks back, you know how that we pointed out the triple emphasis in Philippians chapter number 3 and verse number 2. That was a warning given to the church at Philippi. You remember, use the word beware three times. He's talking about one group of people, but how you see them and their, their multifaceted um, attack of a church. He said, beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision. And oftentimes, you'll find a sense of urgency when something is stated twice. And God has given to Pharaoh his dreams. He's given him two dreams. And Joseph points that out. Jesus used that method. You'll remember while preaching a number of times, he said, truly, truly, or he would say, verily, verily. That was to say, you pause a moment. I have something you need to hear. You'll remember that there were cities in the Bible that, uh, that received a double call. You remember in the book of Matthew, chapter number 23, you remember when our, our Lord, when he wept over the city of God, the city of Jerusalem, he called their names twice as he wept and he, he prayed over them. In Matthew chapter number 23, verses 37 through 39, here's what the Lord said that day as he shed tears. Three times in the scripture, you'll find where he wept, right? Three times he weeps. He wept in the garden of Gethsemane. You ought to read what the writer of the book of Hebrews said about that as he groaned in his spirit and he wept aloud in the garden of Gethsemane. Now, he wept at the tomb of Lazarus because of the unbelief of the people that had gathered there. And he wept over the city of God on earth, the city of Jerusalem, that is the apple of his eye. Listen to how, listen to how he, uh, listen to how he wept over them. He said, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and you would not behold your house is left desolate unto you. For I say unto you, you shall not see me henceforth. Until ye shall say, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. That double emphasis. He said, Jerusalem. If there was ever a city on planet earth that I would love to have gathered like a banny hen would gather her chicks at the, at the sign of a storm or the sign of danger. He said, you're the city. You remember from the cross of Calvary, it was a double cry. On, at, at one juncture when our Lord, the Bible says in Matthew 27, verse 44 and 46, now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, that is my God, my God, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You wanted an audience with the Father. There were a double emphasis to seven individuals in Scripture, only seven. You remember the first double emphasis, the first double cry came to Abraham as he was on top of Mount Moriah. You say, who was Abraham? He was Abram from Ur of the Chaldees. Worship the moon. Uh, Worship the darkness. He was a pagan when he was saved. And nobody knew who, who Abram was, but God knew who he was. You may say today, God's calling my name. It's because he knows who you are. You remember the second double call came to Jacob in Genesis chapter 46. We're soon to see that. It's a fear not call. Jacob was a fellow fellow that nobody would have chosen him. He got so much wrong in his life. But God chose him. You say, preacher, God wouldn't have me. You probably the fellow he's hunting this morning. 
You say, but you don't know what I've done. You're probably the lady he's looking for. You remember there's a little fellow in Scripture, got a double call. His name is Samuel. His mama had prayed for him, took him down to the temple, left him with Eli. And, of course, in the night, God began to speak to Samuel, he being so young and immature. He thought maybe it's Eli the priest. And so he goes and wakes him on a couple of occasions. And the priest didn't have enough discernment to know it was God, but he did say, go back and lay down. Maybe if it's God speaking to you, he'll speak to you again. And he did. He said to the little one, he said, Samuel, Samuel. You say, but God wouldn't call a little fellow. He has no ability. God's not looking for ability today. He's looking for you to just give yourself to him. Little fellow, big fellow, doesn't matter who you are. You remember Moses. We referred to him in, in Exodus chapter number 3 and verse number 4. He received a double call. And everybody had forgotten about Moses. He's been off the scene for 40 years, but God had not forgotten him. You remember in Luke chapter number 10, Martha received a scolding double call, didn't she? The Bible says she was cumbered about much serving. She was distracted. She was bothered that Mary was at the feet of Jesus and she's in there cooking supper. And surely you could tell Mary to get up off her feet and get in here and help me. He said, Martha, Martha. He said, thou art cumbered about much serving. He said, but there, this one thing is needful. He said, you need to get your eyes off everybody and everything else, and you need to get in here at my feet like your sister is. Maybe he would call somebody today to leave something behind and worship him. You remember Simon Peter received that double call? Simon, Simon, you've often heard me quote those verses, haven't you? Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have thee, that he may sift you as wheat. He said, but I have prayed for you that, that prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. He said, Simon, you're going to fall flat on your face. He said, not me, Lord. He said, oh, yeah, you. You're going to fall flat on your face. As a matter of fact, you're going to fail where you think you're the strongest. He said, but I've got good news, twofold. He said, number one, I'm praying for you, and the Father always answers my prayer. And he said, number two, there's another day coming. What a comforting word Simon heard even as he received a word of warning that night. Then God spoke to another lost man with a double call. His name was Saul of Tarsus. He said, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Why are you fighting me? I, I just wonder if Saul of Tarsus, somewhere between the lines, said, Lord, I had been fighting you. What do you mean fighting you? He said, you've been persecuting my people. you fighting me. He said, it's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. He said, you're fighting against me. And every time you fight, it deals to you a wound. He saved him there on the Damascus Road. Let me, let me spend the rest of our time, and I, I won't keep you a long time, but I'm concerned with this moment in time in Joseph's life. God's done a work in his life. Everything he's been through in all of his days has been to bring him right here. Let me tell you what I think about. I think about the verses. You probably are familiar with them. I think about the verses in Psalm number 37, verses 23 to 25. When I think about Joseph's life, I think about these verses where the Bible says the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and he delighteth in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. He said, I have been young, and now I'm old. Yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken, nor seed begging bread. Somehow I feel like if I preached a message from those three verses of Scripture, and Joseph the patriarch was sitting in the congregation, somehow I feel like at the close of the service, after the invitation, if I were to ask, does anybody have anything to say today? And Joseph were sitting here, 
Somehow I feel like Joseph would say, Preacher, could I just say a word about that? I have seen my steps ordered of the Lord. God sent me before my people to make a way for them. Joseph gives a solution for the problems that are facing at Pharaoh and the people. Back in our chapter, in Genesis chapter number 41, notice verses 33 through 36. He, he gives them a solution for these seven harsh years that are soon to come. Now, therefore, let Pharaoh look out a man discreet and wise and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh do this and let him appoint officers over the land and take up the fifth part of the land of Egypt in the seven plenteous years and let them gather all the food of those good years that come and lay up corn under the land of Pharaoh and let them keep food in the cities. And that food shall be for store to the land against the seven years of famine, which shall be in the land of Egypt that the land perish not through the famine. So he, he interprets Pharaoh's dreams and he says, Pharaoh, you've got a problem. Egypt's got a problem. The people's got a problem. The world has got a problem, a, a great need that's facing them. And I'm going to give you the solution because God not only has revealed your problem, but he's also revealed your solution. God has an answer. Of course, our answers are not found in the Lord by running from our problems, are they? We don't run from nor avoid our problems, but we, we go to God because God has an answer for whatever we may face in life. Joseph said to Pharaoh, number one, he said in verse number 33, you need a man. Number two, he says in verse number 34, that man's going to need some men to delegate authority to. And then in verses 34 to 36, he says, during the seven plenteous years, there needs to be a taxation on the people of 20% of the harvest. It'll be so abundant, you won't miss it. But we're going to set that aside in grain bins, and that's going to carry us through seven harsh years. Pharaoh, Joseph gives to Pharaoh a solution for the problems facing Egypt. Verses 37 to 46, let's read the verses. Don't you consider with me the exaltation of Joseph's person, 37 to 46. And the thing was good in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of all his servants. And Pharaoh said unto his servants, can we find such an one as this? as this is, a man in whom the Spirit of God is. Joseph's been talking about God in the presence of a lost man. Now, here's a lost man saying something about the Spirit of God. It's amazing what your witness may do in some person's life. Verse 39, And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, For as much as God, there he is talking about God again, a lost man testifying. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, For as much as God hath showed thee all this, there's none so discreet and wise as thou art. Thou shalt be over my house, and according unto my word shall all my people be ruled. Only in the throne will I be greater than thou. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, See, I have set thee over all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh took off his ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and arrayed him in vestures of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck. And he made him to ride in the second chariot which he had. And they cried before him, Bow the knee. And he made him ruler over all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without thee shall no man lift up his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zaphnath-Paneah. And he gave him the wife Azaneth, the daughter of Potiphar, priest of On. And Joseph went out all over the land of Egypt. And Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went throughout all the land of Egypt. The exaltation of Joseph. He's gone from the shackles of prison now to the status of prime minister. 
rags to riches, if you will, a place of obscurity now to a place of authority. Now, I want to say something right here. God didn't raise all of his children up to a place of prominence. God does have a desire to use all of his children. I don't care if this world knows your name or not. If you know Jesus Christ in the free pardon of sin, God desires to use you as a witness where you live your life. If it's in a small community, if you are a supervisor, or if you work for the supervisor, if your bank account looks like much, or if you just get by, if you have a large family or if you have a small family, if you work outdoors or you work indoors, if you are a young person or you're an aged person, no matter who you are, if you belong to God, his desire is that that he use you. You say, preacher, I want to be used of God. Well, there's a process that God uses in order to ready us. Things move quickly in this chapter, but may I say it one more time. Things have not moved quickly in Joseph's life. God uses the process of spiritual testing. You remember when we were in Psalm 105, we've already touched on it this morning in passing very briefly. We talked about how that God used Joseph to make a way um, to spare his people and provide for his people during seven years of famine. In Psalm 105, verses 18 to 19, the Bible says, regarding Joseph, whose feet they hurt with fetters, he was laid in iron until the time that his word came and the word of the Lord tried him. What that literally is saying is, is that God tested Joseph. You say, but preacher, I thought the devil was testing him. I thought his brothers tested him. I thought Potiphar's wife tested him. They tested him. But according to those two verses in Psalm 105, God was testing Joseph. He would teach him and he would test him. He would test him and he would teach him further. He come from a dysfunctional family. 17 years he lived there. He's thrown into a pit, sold into slavery, lied on by Potiphar's wife, cast into prison, forgotten by the butler. And yet the whole time, the Bible says in every bit of this, no matter what the devil did, his brothers did, or anybody else to him, the whole time God was testing Joseph, before God will use a man, he'll first prove that man. Before God will thrust you out there in somebody else's life to use you, he will first touch your life. I read to you the words some years ago, Dale Martin Stone penned down, talking about God and his working in a man's life. Listen to these words. I'll share them with you again. Stone wrote that when God wants to drill a man and thrill a man and skill a man, when God wants to choose a man to play the noblest part, when he yearns with all of his heart that he wants to raise a man, that all the world shall be amazed. Watch his methods, watch his, watch his ways. How he ruthlessly perfects, who he royally elects, how he hammers him and hurts him and with mighty blows converts him. Long before Pharaoh called Joseph into the throne room of Egypt, God had already enlisted him into the classroom of God. We call it in this dispensation the work of sanctification. God develops Joseph on the anvil of life so that he can stand before the Pharaoh of Egypt and lead countries through a time of harsh uh, harshness. Before God promotes us, he always proves us. God will never use a man that's full of himself. He never has. 
That man may stand before people or that woman may stand before people and get an audience for a span of time, but if a man's full of himself, you watch it, God will cripple that man and take him off the scene. Sometimes he'll even take his life. We've all heard the story of the young preacher that had it all together. He was going to be the next gift to the world, young man. He got up and was going to impress the church in his first sermon, and he made a flop, embarrassed himself. And uh, in embarrassment, finally closed his Bible, put his notes up, went and sat down with his head, uh, hung low, and a little sainted lady in the church walked up and said, young man, said, I want to teach you something. said, if you'd have walked up like you came down, you could have came down like you walked up. God has a way of emptying Joseph of all that would hinder Joseph. He didn't do it in a day's time or a week's time or a month's time or one year's time. Everything he's been through in his life is to bring him to where he's at right now in his life. It takes time. I won't go over and read the verses, but it's the golden process of God, you know. Job said, when he hath cried me, I shall come forth as gold. Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter number 1, verses 6 and 7, he wrote concerning these fiery trials which tries us. He says the reason why God's doing that and allowing that in your life is so that you may come forth as gold. It takes time. There's a process in order to produce maturity in the life of a believer. Look at verse number 25 and 32. Let me just mention to you, as we read these verses, God's timing is perfect timing in Joseph's life. Verse number 25, and Joseph said unto Pharaoh, the dream of Pharaoh is one. God hath showed Pharaoh what he is about to do. Verse number 25, uh, verse number 32, excuse me. And for that the dream was doubled unto Pharaoh twice. It is because the thing is established by God. Watch this, and God will shortly bring it to pass. He said, this is about to happen. Joseph couldn't have been called out two years earlier. It's no wonder the butler didn't remember it. If he had come out two years earlier, Egypt would have been wiped off the map due to a famine in the land. Joseph would have died. Jacob and his, all of his family back home, they would have died. God's timing is always perfect timing. Listen to what uh, John Phillips said about that. He said, so it was that God displayed his perfect wisdom in the perfect timing of the events of Joseph's life. Not a moment too soon, not a moment too late, but in the very fullness of time. In other words, what, uh, what Philip said about this particular event is that Joseph stands before Pharaoh at just the right time. How many of us could testify today? God's timing is perfect timing. Some of you are working jobs. You prayed for another job and God closed the door. But in God's timing, he opened the door, put you where you know you're supposed to be. How about God bringing your mate into your life? God did that in his timing. God brought somebody into your life at just the right time that ministered to you in a time of need. You know as well as I, God don't always move when we want him to, how we want him to, where we want him to move, but God always moves. and We're to trust him and wait on him. Till he moves in our lives. Let me say something lastly. Some of you probably say lastly, amen, preacher. Let me say something lastly about the satisfaction of Joseph's soul. I'll tell you what has impressed me through the years. It's to watch people go through. Maybe they don't go through what Joseph has gone through. But they go through hardship. And they trust God just like Joseph did through it all. 
and they're satisfied in Christ. They remain steady through it all, through all the years and the hardships that life may bring. I'm thinking about a little elderly lady that lives over in the hurricane community. And when I was her pastor for a little over six years, she came in following a walker every Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. If she missed, she missed because she was sick. Miss Angie, you know Miss Sally B. I think she had ground to complain, but I never heard her complain. Whitney, did you ever hear Miss Sally B. complain? Never heard her complain about the weather, the economy, her lot in life. If you were to go see Miss Sally B. today and say, Miss Sally, could I borrow $5? She might have it. She might not. But she trusted God through it all. I remember one of the deacons when I was pastoring out there, I remember one of the deacons saying about some of them going over to Birmingham and, and visiting her. And she was in a dire condition. And, and, um, and said, uh, and he said, preacher, he said, the doctor, the doctors gave up on her and said, uh, I wouldn't give you, give you a dime for her life. But God raised her up to be a blessing to a lot of people. Amy, you know Miss Sally B. Precious, isn't she? I, that's my hero. People like that's my heroes. They don't have to have center stage. You don't have to promote them. You don't have to pat them on the back. They, you don't have to showcase them. They, they just walk on trusting the Lord with a joy, a settled peace in their life. Joseph, in verse number 45, verse number 45, notice with me that Joseph is given an Egyptian bride. Look at verse number 45 of chapter number 41. The Bible says, And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zaphnath-Paneah. He gave him to wife Azaneth, the daughter of Potiphar, priest of all. Joseph went out all over the land of Egypt. Azaneth, I, I can't preach it to you this morning, but you know Azaneth is a picture of us, don't you? She's a Gentile bride. Many of the Old Testament brides are a picture of the New Testament church. Think about Adam and Eve. How was it that Eve came about? Well, you remember there was the side of Adam was opened up and a rib was taken. And a bride was fashioned. And so it is with Christ upon the cross of Calvary. His side was open. And from that side has come his bride, the church of the living God. He's soon to come back after her one day, child of God. It, Ruth is a Gentile bride. She's a picture of the church. You remember her husband is Boaz. He has a dual nature about him. His daddy was was a Jew, but his mama was a Gentile. It speaks to the hypostatic union of Christ. He knew what it was to be despised and rejected. His mother was a harlot. He knew how people looked upon his mother. He knew what it was to be pushed out. And all of a sudden, one day, here comes this little pagan girl from Moab. She looks different. She talks different. She handles herself different. Maybe everybody kind of held her at arm's length, but not Boaz. He said, I know just how you feel. And he drops handfuls of purpose for her. He brings her unto himself. And there's a wedding in Ruth chapter number 4. And they have a little boy by the name of Obed. Obed means worship. And every time Christ and his church gathers together, worship should be the offspring. Eve is a picture of the church in her formation. Ruth is a picture of the church in her salvation. Then there's Rebecca. 
You remember Eliezer goes to the foreign land, brings Rebecca back and presents her to Isaac at evening tide. She's a picture of the church in her presentation when the Holy Ghost is going to present the bride to the bridegroom in the air at eventide one day. Saying that, Azaneth is a picture of the church in her glorification. Joseph is seated at the right hand of the king of the land. And Azaneth's going to get to rule and reign with him, and she doesn't do anything. It's just because of Joseph she gets to sit there. One of these days, God's going to let us rule the land and reign with him, and we didn't do a cotton-picking thing to earn it. Our heavenly Joseph did that for us. What a bargain, child of God. Joseph is given an Egyptian bride. He's also given two sons. Notice the name of the first one in verse number 51. The Bible says, And Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for God said he hath made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. Manasseh, that's what it means to forget. All the sting, the heartache, the grief, the tears, the toil. God took the sting of it all from him. That's what God's doing in his life. His little boy is born, and they said, what are you going to name him, Joe? He said, I'm going to name him Manasseh, for God hath manasseh me. He's made me forget. He's done a work in my life. The second son is born in verse number 52. The Bible says, And the name of the second called he Ephraim, for God hath caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. That's what Ephraim means. It means to be twice blessed or to be fruitful. He's saying God has manassed me and God has Ephraimed me. Rest assured, child of God, our great shepherd may lead us through the valley of the shadow of death, but he is the same shepherd that restoreth our soul. That's what Joseph is saying. I promise you I'm almost done. You've been very patient with me this morning. I read to you the words as we had a testimony service last Sunday. Didn't we have a special service last Sunday? God move in our hearts. I read to you the words better farther on, some of the words, not all of it. As we travel through the desert, storms befell us by the way. But beyond the river Jordan lies a field of endless day. Farther on, still go farther. Count the milestones one by one. Jesus will forsake you never. It is better farther on. Walk on, child of God. Walk on through the trials of life. Let me give you my last thought, and I'm going to give you two or three principles, and I'm done. Look at verse number 45. Now, God has now rewarded Joseph and blessed his soul. Remember, we were talking about that. Look at verse 45. God's also blessed Joseph and shown us Jesus through Joseph. Look at verse 45. Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zaphnathaniah and gave him to wife Azaneth, the daughter of Potiphar, priest of Om. And Joseph went out over all the land of Egypt. Joseph's given a brand new name. Zaphnathaniah means Savior of the world. Verse number 43, people would bow the knee to Joseph as he went out and among the people. That reminds us of Jesus. We faithfully are to face our trials, faithfully to live our lives that others may see Jesus Christ through us. How did uh, Joseph make it all those years? How do we make it? Jonathan Edwards He said, they that have God for their portion, they have sufficient portion. Is God enough for you today? Is God enough? Joseph walked on through through much pain, embarrassment, grief, 
may we do the same. Is God your portion? Just a closing statement or two. We may go through lengthy periods of trial. Um, Joseph did. We may too. But that does not have to discourage us from serving God. Even if we go through lengthy periods of trial, may we realize we are the children of God and walk on. Let me say this. Considering Joseph and the satisfaction of his soul, the painful memories of yesterday, they don't have to encroach upon us today and steal our joy. They didn't Joseph. You may be somebody here today and you've blown it somewhere in life. And that eats at you. You don't have to let that consume your life. I know people that everyone else has forgiven them, but they will not forgive themselves. They will not rest their past to Christ. What he has forgiven, you forgive and move on. I thought about this. If you have to walk and live your faith while people whisper, gossip, despise, mock, or pass judgment upon you as Joseph did, walk on, child of God. Oftentimes, those who are talking know the least about the situation. And then if God's blessed your life, walk on unashamedly. You remember we were preaching through the book of Esther last year. I've been doing some preaching outside our church from some of those messages from the book of Esther. We called it the book of Providence. God works in the lives of his people. Do you know sometimes in the life of a child of God, there are those who will struggle against the providential dealings of God in their lives. God will work in your life to try to bring you to himself. And he'll push against it. And he'll fight that. May God help us to line our lives up like Joseph. Let's stand. Miss Angie, would you come to the piano, please? Thank you for your patience today.